One Hope Church. Good morning. We're glad you're here this morning, whether you're in the parking lot or online. Uh, we're thankful for you and um, thankful for the opportunity to worship the Lord together. We pray this morning we do so um, in spirit and in truth. We are continuing our study through the Gospel of John. We'll be in John chapter 13. We took a little bit of a, a break last week as uh, for Father's Day um, and some other holidays. And so we are um, John 13, and we're going to pick up in verse 16. And for context, Jesus had just washed the feet of his disciples. Um, and this is an important uh, context to understand uh, for what's going to happen because again, you know, Jesus as we talked about a couple of weeks ago Jesus being the king overall being the ruler of the universe first humbles himself to take on human flesh to be found in the likeness of, of humans and to live among us um, for the purpose of of being prepared to go to the cross. And one of the final things Jesus does with his disciples before he teaches them more and more about his expectations for them in the coming days, he girds the towel around his waist, gets down on his knees, and he washes their feet. It's a powerful, beautiful scripture. And folks, we need to remember this today. Because if we find ourselves in the position that we are unwilling to literally or figuratively or in some form or fashion wash the feet of others, then we have become sidetracked and we have forgotten what our Savior has told us. Because remember these words in verse verses 16 and 17. He said, Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Remember that Jesus is higher than we are. And if he was able to stoop low, we should be more than willing and more than pleased to do the same. Uh, let's go to the Lord again in prayer and then we'll get into the rest of the passage this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for your love, for your truth. Please help us this morning. Fill us, fill our minds, our hearts. Fill all of us with, with you, your Holy Spirit and with your word, we pray, dear Jesus, this morning. Help us, we pray. Jesus, you are high and we are low, and yet you stoops low to serve us. And so help us, Lord. Move our hearts, we pray. In your name, Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Then, Jesus immediately, in verse 18, makes this distinction. He says, you know, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So there was a, an understanding they had to have. We call this, you know, like a, a, a theology, a, a theology of understanding of who God is, 
and God's expectations. Who he is and his way. And then we have a practical theology, theology and practice, praxis. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Meaning that our, our knowledge cannot be disconnected from our practice. Whenever we find our knowledge and our practice to be disconnected entities, we need to, to change. We need to shift. But Jesus says in verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. Meaning that he, his expectations is for all of them here. If you know these things, blessed are you if you will do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, who receives, whomever I send receives me, and who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he whom I give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Jesus had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he, that's Judas, then went out immediately and it was night. So as we have that scene, Jesus says, you know, one of you is going to betray me. And he says it's in, in the context of the fulfillment of prophecy in the Old Testament. Now, the prophecy, two things are true at the same time. One is that the prophecy was going to be fulfilled. Because God knows the past, the present, and the future. The second thing that is true is that Judas had real choices to make along the way. And he did not have to be the one to do such a thing. But because he allowed sin to take root in his heart, as we know that he had the money box and began to take things from it, and that sin grew to the point of utter betrayal in him, and I'm sure he even had self-justification for why it was okay for him to do what he did, and that maybe Jesus wasn't all who he said he was, as Jesus allowed you know, the woman to... Uh, wash his feet with the expensive perfume and it you know those sort of things in his mind in his, in his twisted mind justified his sinful betrayal so when most people commit a betrayal or most people commit grievous sins you know they have convinced themselves that they are the ones who are in the right and that others are in the wrong One of the key things about sinful sin and sinfulness is that it is deceptive. It is by its nature deceptive. Be careful not to be deceived.
Now, what's interesting here is that, and we're going to come back to this, but the disciples were perplexed about whom he spoke. You know, it wasn't super obvious. It's not like the disciples were sitting around and go, that's Judas. We know it's him. No, it says they were perplexed. Even when things are said pretty clearly, they still think it's something different than it is. Maybe he's gone out to buy things needed for the feast tomorrow. You know, maybe things are needed to give something to the poor. So, and then in verse thirty-one, I want to I want to come. We're going to come back to Judas, but we got to read this next section first. It says now, when he had gone out, Jesus said. Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. Now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And so... We have a lot here to, uh, to unpack. We'll do so as quickly as we can. God is going to be glorified, Jesus says, and he's going to be glorified in him because things are going to happen quickly now. Because what is about to happen? Jesus is going to go to the cross. And then he's going to ascend to the Father. And he says that they can't go. You know, before Jesus had said the same thing to the Jewish leaders, and now he says it to his own disciples. You know, where I'm going, you cannot come. But he gives them something to do in the meantime. He says, this is the commandment I have for you, that you love one another. He is trying to bind them together as I have loved you, that you also love one another. About this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love should be the hallmark of followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus should be known for their love and their love for more than one another over anything else. They'll know by your love for one another that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus had loved them while he was with them and he's going to love them as he goes to the cross. He, he serves them Love them as I loved you. How did he love them? Well, even just in that in that same scene, he has washed their feet. He loves them enough to go and lay down his life for them as he's going to go to the cross to die in their place. This is the type of love that Jesus has. And Jesus says, we should love one another that way. So all followers of Jesus, all disciples of Jesus should love one another in this way. Serve one another. Help one another. Lay down one's lives for for one another. And the beautiful thing about this, when Jesus is your identity, 
when your identity is first and foremost in the person of Jesus Christ, then you're, then those barriers that our world, our sinful world has put on will not stand in our way. We will love regardless of the language. We will love regardless of the ethnicity. We will love regardless of the nation. We will love regardless of all the other things. What team you root for, whatever. You will love the Florida Gator. Just as you love the Georgia Bulldog who loves Jesus. Anything that the world has that will divide, Jesus bridges that divide, supersedes that divide. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Well, if we don't have one another, then the world has reason to doubt. Then the world has reason to doubt. Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Again, Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you shall follow me afterward. Well, we know what is going to happen to Peter. He's going to deny, as is quickly prophesied here. He's going to be restored. He's going to preach with power at Pentecost. He's going to go from a timid person to a bold person. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what ultimately changes Peter from a coward to someone who is willing to die for what he believes. But Peter thinks he's ready now. He says, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for your sake. Peter gives it to the extreme. But Jesus says, basically, it's like a, not yet. (laughs) Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, what I want to take a minute to do is to to contrast the utter betrayal of unbelieving Judas with the failure of believing Peter. The first contrast is that Judas had planned his betrayal. Whereas when we see Peter, even though this has been prophesied, he gets called up in a moment of extreme pressure and he caves to that pressure. Judas did not return and seek reconciliation, but only had a worldly sorrow. He did not have a true repentance. Where, as Peter had a godly sorrow, he returns. He's not all hiding when there's word. You know, he's been already praying, already with the other disciples. And when the word comes, he and John, you know, run to the tomb to see it empty. Peter had a godly sorrow. He had a a sorrow that causes return in true confession. Judas would not deal with the sin, but killed himself in a misguided attempt to reckon with what he had done. 
Whereas Peter receives reconciliation, restoration. Now, where it stands for us today, what we can learn for those two today is that Judas is an example of the false church. Whereas Peter is an example in this case of the true church that sometimes fails but returns. Sometimes those inside have a hard time telling the difference. Sometimes those inside have a hard time seeing what Judas is really all about. So sometimes the true church thinks that the false church is part of the true church. It gets deceived. As the disciples did with Jesus, with Judas. And then there are times where it just becomes blatantly evident that the Judas church is the Judas church. And how do you know the Judas church is the Judas church? You see, the world on the outside doesn't make a distinction. To them, it's just Christianity. To them, it's just the church and Christians. All kind of the same. And the Judas church will always want it defined in those terms. It certainly will never call itself the Judas church or the false church. It's going to say we're legitimate. But how do you know it's illegitimate? The first and foremost is to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. The false church will deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Or will deny the role of Jesus and necessity of Jesus in salvation. It will deny that the scripture is the word of God. And it will not call what the scripture calls sin, sin. There's a four ways that you can know the false church. Deny the deity of Jesus. Deny the necessity of Jesus in salvation. Deny the scripture and deny what the scripture has said is sin. That's what the false church will do. The false church will say that racism isn't a sin. The false church will do that. It'll justify it. The false church will say adultery is not a sin. It'll justify it. The false church will say homosexuality is not a sin. It'll justify it. The false church will say pornography is not a sin. It'll justify it. The false church will justify what God has said as sin, as not sin. Because the false church is not sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit about what God has said is sin. false church will not take any risk for the kingdom. The false church will not take risk for God. The false church will stay silent 
when it should join, should have joined the movement of abolition. False church would be quiet. Today's times, the false church will be scared. False church, or accept, or will just go with the flow of the world. So how do we, though Peter failed, and so we fail sometimes too, when we fail to be as bold as we should be, we fail to be as loving as we should be, we fail to be as truthful as we should be, we fail to be as compassionate as we should be. We fail in so many different ways, folks. We can fail in so many different ways. So how do we keep from failure? What does the book of Hebrews chapter 12 tell us? To keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. What did Jesus do for us? He endured the pain. He endured the shame. Keep eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Lay aside every sin that so easily ensnares us. See, we have an advantage in that true believers have the Holy Spirit indwelling and we need to listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But in order to be able to listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we need to have time with God in the Word and in prayer so that we can hear And this is something I need to preach to myself this morning and something that I I probably, I think we all need to hear. We need to evaluate in these days, what is our ratio of media to time with God? And I say media, I mean traditional media, print, television, you know, news sources, all of that social media what is the ratio look back if there's a if there's a timer what do those two numbers look like over the past couple of months between media and time talking to Jesus about what's going on in our world see I don't care what your source is In this sense, if you're listening to Fox News all day and not opening your Bible, you're going to think like Fox News. And if you have on CNN and not your Bible, you're going to think like CNN. And if you have your MSNBC and not your Bible, you're going to think like MSNBC. And you can take your favorite people on social media or your favorite sources there. And if that's what you consume more than scripture, you will be influenced them by them more than scripture. The same is true for me. We, we are what we eat. We are what we eat. If you go, you know, you can have a donut every now and then. That's all good, right? But if you eat donuts, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you will see you will soon need a hospital. You're gonna hurt your body. Well, if you eat 
Fox News breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or you eat MSNBC or CNN, any of them, I don't care what they are, if you eat at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you're going to be seriously, spiritually sick. You're going to be spiritually sick and you're going to need a hospital. You're going to need to spend some more time. We're going to need to spend some more time in the hospital of Jesus to get repaired because our minds will be corrupted. The scripture says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to the right of this world. Do not be conformed to the left of this world. Do not be conformed to the middle of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What can renew your mind? The scripture. And praying through the scripture. And praying through the things of our day. That can renew your mind. Rejuvenate your spirit. Encourage your heart. Because right or left, or even in the middle, if what you consume more than anything else is media and social media, you will find yourself in a state of depression. You will find yourself not looking hopefully at the potential outcomes in our world. And you and I will not be focused on the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is an equal opportunity offender. And we, we need to ask him to show us anything in our hearts or minds or way of thinking or anything else that is offensive to him. So that we would see and hear as he does. And listen to these words as we finish this morning in John chapter 14 verses 1 through 6. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, also in me. Believe also in me. Has your heart been troubled? Yes, our hearts have been troubled. Now again, remember the context. Jesus is talking to his disciples and they know that the situation is fraught with tension. They know that the Jewish leaders are seeking his death. They know that they live under Roman oppression. They know where they stand in Jerusalem in these days. And in all of that turmoil, Jesus is going to give them this powerful message, but then he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. Jesus says, have an eternal perspective. Jesus wants us to have an eternal perspective that the Father and Jesus are going to take care of us and that our ultimate home is with Him in His presence. Thomas said to Him, Lord, we do not know where You are going. And how can we know the way? 
And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is our focus more on Jesus and his eternal promises? Or is it more on what we have to lose here and now if we are on the side of Jesus and the side of courage? See, ultimately, most of these disciples that first heard this message would lose in an earthly sense, and they would lose big. Many of them would lose their lives, many of those first followers of Jesus. And folks, if they did not have courage, we would not be here today. See, this thing about courage Courage provides, when it comes to, the, to Jesus and the gospel, courage provides opportunity for other people. And folks, I don't care really what part of the world you came from. In this, in this sense, you heard the gospel because at some point someone before you was willing to die so that you would have that opportunity. That's part and parcel with the history of the church, the, the true church of Jesus from Pentecost until today. And there are still those among us who have the courage to put their lives on the line. Many on a very, in a very literal sense. See, and this is a problem for us. And why we are so timid and why we are so feeble and why we are so weak in terms of the, the church of Jesus in the United States of America is because we've had so long in relative ease and we've been easily sidetracked by unimportant things. But true followers of Jesus in the Middle East and in North Korea and in China and in many places in Mexico and South America, they, they understand, they know what it is to, to follow Jesus in the face of persecution, in the face of opposition. And we need to learn from them. We need to learn from them. Because they can teach us and instruct us and give us courage. Because if, if they can do it as followers of Jesus, so can we. If they can do it in their context, where someone can bust through the door and haul them off to prison. If they can do that, 
it in their context where they can be pulled from their homes and drug out into the street and shot or lit on fire. Can't we do that in a context where we have lesser things to lose, like our reputations, our status, maybe a job? More courage is necessary. We need more boldness to share the truth in love. Remember, Jesus taught us, he said, love your enemies. Remember for the people hearing that in those days, when Jesus said, love your enemies. For his disciples, that would include religious leaders. That would include Roman oppressors. That would include Samaritans that they grew up being taught to hate. That meant loving people who would drag them into court. Take everything from them. Love your enemies. What is love? Love is to seek the best possible outcome. To to desire and work for the best possible outcome. See, love is not just an emotion. Love isn't a, I like or dislike something or someone. No, love seeks what is best. Love sees from the perspective of God and not from the perspective of self. We are commanded to love. Our enemy, the enemy, who is the enemy? The enemy is anyone who who seeks to hurt you or to destroy you. So see that contrast. The enemy is trying to destroy or hurt the disciple of Jesus. The disciple of Jesus' response is to try to help and to benefit the one doing the hurting. That's an incredible contrast. Jesus did not say, just don't hate. No, he gave an active command. So, dear followers of Jesus, today, what does that look like for us? That means we are called we're called to love those we naturally would not. We're called to love those we don't want to. Our flesh says no, but the Spirit says yes. May God help us. To be obedient to King Jesus. Because what, what King Jesus wants. Remember. He sought the good of even those who sought to destroy him. Not once in that process of love. Did Jesus compromise truth. Because to compromise truth would be the antithesis of love. To compromise truth would be a hateful action. It might be viewed as hate in the short term, but it—it it certainly, I mean, to, to tell the truth in the short term can be viewed as hate. But again, we have to define it from God's perspective. And to tell the truth is loving. 
You know, we tell the truth to our kids about themselves, even when it causes them, causes them pain. Why do we do that? Because we seek their ultimate good. Why do you have accountability with your friends? Why do you go to your friend and say, please show anything in me? Tell me anything in me that doesn't reflect the light of Jesus. Hey, look folks, nobody, none of us are perfect. But, and each one of us needs to go to other imperfect followers of Jesus. But hopefully, you know, choose wisely those you believe who are mature and who are walking with the Lord and ask them and give them permission and say, you have my full permission to offend me. You have, you have my full permission to hurt my feelings in the short term if it's for my good in the long term. You have the permission to show me my flaws. And where I need to grow, that I might, my life might give more honor and more glory to Jesus. Who have you given permission to do such? Because if we have not given others permission to do that in our lives, what right do we have to go and tell the world anything? We are not willing to hear about our own flaws. What right do we have to go and tell other people about theirs? May we be humble. May Jesus help us to be more like him. He told the truth, but he was compassionate. And he was loving and there was no doubt. In an objective sense, there was no doubt. As he went to the cross. We finish with Romans 5, 8, but God shows us how much he loves us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, when we were enemies of God, God reached out in love and sacrifice. May we be thankful people this morning in your cars or at home. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we encourage you to take the bread and the cup to remember Jesus and the sacrifice made and just say, Lord Jesus, show me anything that, that needs to change and help me to keep my eyes on, on you and in this season of life especially Lord help us to keep our eyes on you as we're in a cultural revolution that our hearts would undergo a revolution that we would love like Jesus And so, Heavenly Father, we come to you now, and we thank you. And as Jesus took the bread and the cup and gave it at the Last Supper and instructed his disciples to do so until the return, Lord Jesus, we, we take that bread and cup this morning in thanksgiving and in praise of how good you are. We pray that in these times, Lord, our eyes would most of all be on you, Jesus, so that we would see rightly and act correctly and that our, our attitudes would be of you and we would be people full of hope in the transformative power of the gospel. Help us, Lord Jesus, we pray.
Lord, we pray in this season, many would see the futility of life without you and turn to you. May your true, true church rise. May the Judas church be exposed. May people know the difference and follow you, dear Jesus. In your precious name, we ask it. Amen. For anybody here watching that has not yet become a follower of Jesus, Jesus invites you to salvation. Humble yourself. Turn from your sin and turn to believe in Jesus and receive forgiveness and life and purpose and joy and peace in his precious name. You don't need another person to do that. You just need Jesus. You and Jesus. Lay down your pride and and everything before him. If you ask for forgiveness, if you ask him to save you, he certainly will. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Amen. Amen.